For those of you who have your eyes open during the prayer, you'll know that I came up too early. Those of you who keep your eyes closed during the prayer, that'll teach you not to pay attention to what's going on around you. Well, it's time. What a great thing it is for me to stand up here and to be able to look at you and watch you worshiping together as families. We don't get here in El Paso, we don't get families who have their whole families in very often. And uh, what a great privilege that was for me to be able to be up here and watch you worship together as families all over the building. Uh, I gave up trying to sit on the stage during the music service many years ago because I found it so hard to worship with people watching me like that. And uh, so today was a special, pre uh, special treat. I'm glad that you're here today. I want to talk to you about timeliness and being on time. This is not because I have a bone to pick with anybody about not showing up on time or anything like that. Uh, I want to talk to you about being on time as it relates to your Christian life. And we're going to use a Christmas story to, to do that. But before we do that, let me just kind of give you an example, two, two examples actually, about why being on time is really important at just the right time. So Teresa and I have three children, as you know, and uh, two of them and their extended families will be here over the next 48-hour stretch and uh, through the week. Uh, but when we had just two boys, and Teresa was pregnant with our third, I had a history to work with. All right, I'm going to go ahead and lay the foundation here to, to protect myself early. Her story is a little different than mine, but she was having a baby, so she doesn't remember everything exactly right. And uh, <laughs> Oh, man. Anybody need an extra guest at Christmas, I'll be happy to come over. <laughs> so, so our first son was three weeks late when he was born. And uh, I, I know that those of you who are physicians out there go, we don't do that, and, but in, way back then, they did, and uh, well, he's so late that he was talking when he was born. But um, so I, I was conditioned, right? I, I have a brother, no sisters, so I was conditioned to this is normal for having babies. And so with Brandon, three weeks late, I figured that was the norm. And uh, after all, it's an arbitrary pick date anyway. And so, um, so then Colin comes along, and he was born on his birthday projection date. So by the time we got to Lauren, our daughter, I was an old hand at this now. I had it figured out, right? And so with, so, <laughs> so with Lauren, I mean, excuse me, with Colin, he was born on his due date, but we spent, I don't know, 48 hours, 36 hours at the hospital before he was born. How many, how many cups of coffee can you drink in that period of time? So, one night around midnight or so, uh, Teresa woke me up and she said, I think it's time we're going to have this baby. I need to go to the hospital. I said, okay. So I went in and got a shower. <laughs> called my mom, who lived about a mile or so away, and the arrangements were that she was going to come stay with the boys while I took Teresa to the hospital. And so I, I was thinking back to the previous time. I, thought, Man, 
I think I'm going to brew a pot of coffee and put it in a thermos and take with me. So I did. My mother showed up. She talked to me like she hadn't talked to me since I was like three years old. Now, in my defense, we got to the hospital on time. I had time to go fill out paperwork and get back and be there for the birth, like immediately for the birth. Now, she hadn't forgiven me for that, so yes, she has. Yes, she has. All right, on time. How do, how do you process being on time and maybe even let's push it out to where we're going today about God's ability to be on time. We look at the world around us and we see what's going on. For many of us, it causes us great trouble. It troubles our hearts to look around and see what's going on. And we ask the question, God, where are you? That's another way of saying my timing doesn't seem to match God's time. Maybe that's something going on in your own life, in your family life. So let me, let me tell you, show you the importance of being on time. A couple of years ago for our Christmas present for each other, Teresa, Teresa and I are at that stage where we just kind of do something that, you know, so instead of individual gifts, we kind of do, what can we do together for the house or whatever? And, so we decided that we wanted to do one of those gas inserts in our fireplace. Um, a lot of reasons for that. That's what we chose to do. That's what we did. So let's take that as the example. Let's say you have one of those. H how important is the timing of getting a flame to the gas outlet? If you are, oh, let's say that you turn on the gas, you get distracted, and you come back in 15 minutes and hit that flame. How important is timing when it comes to gas in a fireplace like that? By the same token, you could do it the other way, and you can light that match, let's say, and then five minutes later, turn the gas on, and what do you have? Nothing. So what I want us to do today on this Christmas Eve is I want us to consider the role of God and his timing in our own lives. We take the Christmas story as our base. I'm going to begin reading. You stop me when you think I've read enough for us to have a sermon. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, okay, stop. There's our sermon. I don't want to be long today, okay? But what I have to say, I think, is one of those critical, fundamental elements of our Christian living. And it comes down to God's timing and our ability to trust Him for that. I'm going to tell you, we're going to spend a few minutes in here in the middle. We're not going to be here long, okay? But we're going to spend a few minutes here right towards the beginning. And I'm going to give you some, some background, okay? When I teach young ministers, young preachers, or young teachers, one of the things that I drill home for them time after time after time is that every Bible study, every sermon has to be firmly rooted in the text, that is, Scripture. 
Because if it's not firmly rooted in the text, then you will lose your way when you try to teach or preach. So we find ourselves at a point of saying we have to be rooted in the text, but the, the corollary with that is that you can't stay rooted in the text if you don't understand the historical context. Every word of Scripture was written by a particular person to a particular person or group of persons at a particular time in history for a particular purpose. The text is rooted in the historical context. So I'm going to spend just a minute or two, okay, three or four, oh, six, minutes in the historical part of these passages that we're going to read, okay? I have one other passage that we're going to go to. Let me come back to Luke chapter 1, excuse me, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. We'll talk about that tonight, but quickly I go over to the book of Galatians where Paul is making an argument that's tied directly to salvation and justification we're saved by is he saved by grace through faith so Paul's in that argument in the book of Galatians but he slips in this little statement Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. But when the fullness of time had come. In other words, there was a time in heaven where God said, it's time. But what's wrapped up in that? How should we understand those days? My very first college Bible class happened at Odessa College of all places. It was a class that was entitled The Life and Teachings of Christ. It was taught by the local Baptist Student Ministries, used to be Baptist Student Union in those days, uh, director. And I remember, so, so this is not his sermon. The idea, though, gripped me then, it grips me now. And so for 40 years, I've been working through some of the ramifications of the timing of God as it relates to our everyday lives. From a Jewish history perspective, what's wrapped up in that little phrase in those days? If Paul is right, and he is, when he says that in the fullness of time, when it was exactly, precisely on time, God sent his son, then those two come together for us to say that God did not arbitrarily pick out a time to say, okay, I have nothing else to do, let's go ahead and send Jesus today. God's much more calculated and much more strategic than that. That's a good truth for us to remember as it relates to our own lives, when we're going through something and what we want more than anything else is relief and we ask God, where are you in this? That's a question of timing. So don't miss the basic truth of the whole thing and that is that God is always precisely on time with what he does. And that was true in Bethlehem all of those years ago and it's true today in those days. So from a Jewish history perspective, 
we might find that there would be those who would argue that God was late. I'm not one of those. I hope you're not one of those. But there would be those who would argue from Jewish history to say, God, you know, what's the deal here? Because we could go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the, the fall of man there and the curse of sin, the corruption of God's perfect creation that occurred in that. And we might ask the question, God, why didn't you just fix it right there? Not a bad question. But we move forward in that and we find that sin just gets worse and worse. And we find this guy named Abram who stuck over in modern day Iraq probably. And God says to him, okay, I'm going to put it in my terms. This is, this is not even a paraphrase. This is just me kind of summarizing it. God says to Abram, you go and I'll do. So, but that wasn't God's ultimate fix for our sin thing. And we could work our way through from Abram all the way through to the book of Malachi, the end of the Old Testament. And we could find people, maybe we would even be people from time to time that would look at that and go, God, why did you wait so long, centuries you waited for the fix? Why? There, there's some, some, some crossover that with the Jews of the New Testament time because they were still looking for this one who had been promised through the prophets, who was going to be the one to come and fix the problem that Israel had and elevate them, in their view at least, elevate them to be the world power that they had been created to be, which was a misinterpretation of what God had said. They might have said, Mary herself and Joseph himself and those shepherds themselves might have actually been thinking, we're sunk. Here we are again under the oppression of a foreign government when we're called to be so much more. Where's God in that? I think it's important that we understand that when Luke says in those days, Caesar Augustus called for this census and so begins this this domino after domino that ultimately ends up that falls where Jesus, God in the flesh, is born in a manger in perfect time, according to Scripture. I, th I think what that reveals for us is that our God complexes that we each have are really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? We're attached to our opinions and if it were up to me God would do things in different timing I suppose that's a Jewish perspective let me give you a world history perspective very quickly by the way I'm almost done so hang in there God chose this time in history um, and as I said, in a very calculated kind of way. There, there are things that are on the table of history in this first century, actually 4 or 5 B.C. probably is the actual date most scholars would tell us. But, but there are some things historically that are on the table. For instance, there are two of, of history's greatest empires that 
that come almost back to back before Jesus comes. One of those was the empire of Alexander the Great. And if we go back and study world history, we will find that Alexander the Great had this burning passion to be an evangelist for Hellenism, for Greek culture, Greek philosophy, and Greek religion. The reason you know of those, the pantheon, the mythology of the Greek gods, that's with a small g, by the way, the reason you know that at all, if you know it, is because Alexander the Great pushed that. And so he pushed it all across that part of the ancient Near East, uh, a couple of, well, you know, before the Roman Empire. But he was so good at that that he took that and he began, even though he was conquering peoples, historically speaking, he was a great warrior and a pretty decent leader and a pretty decent politician, but he always pushed forward and he pushed this Hellenism, the culture, religion, and philosophy of the Greeks into those people that he conquered. And so from North Africa all around the Mediterranean, we find this push that went out like that. And in the process of doing that, there are some things that survived him and his empire. One of those was because of the push and the conquering, began to push these ideas into people who never would have had those ideas, and it caused the situation to be ripe for new words to go out, new philosophies, and trade followed suit. And so that gets us to the Roman Empire, who actually, when Jesus was born, was still in place. We can go back to 63 B.C., more or less, and a guy named Octavian was, uh, was born. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar, if that name means anything to you. He co-ruled as part of a triumvirate. He co-ruled with a guy named Mark Anthony. Not, not the singer, the Roman. And what we found when Octavian became Caesar, by the way, that's the Caesar Augustus of verse 1. When he became Caesar, that, that push of Hellenism had so pressed out across that part of the world and all of the benefits of that were there, but the Romans came in and they offered a few other things. First of all, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Let's not get too messed up with the word peace there because it was an enforced peace. The reason there was the peace of Rome largely, this is a gross understatement historically, I know that, but the reason there was that peace was because the Romans not only had the ability, they had the will to put down any dissent. And they were really good at that. That's why we know of crucifixion. So that pushes out. The Romans were famous for their roads. I toured Turkey back in 2000 and something, 2009, I think it was, went to the seven churches of, of uh, Revelation, and, and I walked on some of those streets, roads, that the Romans built. So it took what Alexander the Great had done with Hellenism, and Rome comes in, and this peace that opens the door for them to do trade, the, the Greek of Alexander the Great became the the business language of the time in the first century. All of those pieces come to place so that ultimately we come to this statement that Luke makes in those days. 
And Paul picks up on that in the fullness of time when it was exactly, precisely the right moment. God sends this angel. We'll talk about the angel stuff a little more later tonight. But here's, here's the summary of it all. God's always on time. And we see that best in the birth of Jesus. Sometimes we get frustrated with God's timing. <laughs> I've, known, I've known young ministers. I was a young minister one time. Then I got old. But you know, one of the, one of the main drives for a lot of young ministers is I want to be in charge. I want to be, I want to be the minister, not, not of this area of church. I want to be, as my dad used to call senior pastors, I want to be the big duck. We, we get frustrated, we, all of us, with timing. Israel well, could well have been frustrated because I, I talked about through, through Malachi, but what I did not say was that after Malachi, it says it's, that, that there was a, a period of about 400 years where there was no prophetic voice. But when God stepped up, when God stepped in, it was precisely the right time. Let me ask you, what are you waiting for today with God? I, I know we have children all over the building Many of them are waiting for either tonight, the Christmas Eve opening of presents, or tomorrow morning, the Christmas, Eve, the Christmas opening of presents. What, what are you waiting for? What is it in your life today that causes you to step back and go, okay, God, maybe this is the message you have for me, that I need to learn to wait. I quote this every time I talk about patience. Because it's the most profound biblical statement of patience that I've heard from anybody. A cowboy friend of mine from Hobbs, New Mexico, who worked in the oil fields, made this comment to me one time. He said, Mark, I know that I need patience, but I got to tell you, I don't have time for patience. There's the human condition. God may not, okay, here's a big truth. God may not operate on your timetable, but he always operates with you in mind. Please don't miss that. Because this whole idea of waiting on God is such that, that we find people who walk away from God. We, we see them walk away from the church, Sometimes that's a little more understandable than walking away from God, but it's, it never makes sense to walk away from God because we've already proven in the human condition since Adam and Eve that without God, we're no good. I mean that no good in a lot of different ways. We need God in our lives, but sometimes that means we have to wait for him to act. This is what I call the advent outside of the liturgy. We, we love to do the liturgical stuff. And Advent is one of those things. And it's okay for us to do that. 
But it makes no sense, hear me very carefully, it makes no sense for us to do all of this and then not wait on God. It makes no sense for us to get the I's dotted correctly and the T's crossed on the liturgy of what we do, but then abandon God because he won't play according to our rules and our time to pray. So the message of this part of Christmas Eve, I think, is that we're still waiting if we go with a liturgical season. Even at this point, we're still waiting for the Christ candle to be lit. So when we go to light that tonight in our candlelight service, I hope you'll be here for that. But when we go to light that, will you be okay with God's timing then? Or will it just be another one of those things we do that's part of church? I'll change it up. And I'm diving for the finish line now. How well do you handle being in God's waiting room? I, I have to tell you, back to Teresa and the birth of our middle child. It's going to be a rough afternoon. but uh, There was a point in that middle child's birth where I was thinking can we not just get this done she was thinking that he just wouldn't cooperate how about you you find it hard to be in God's waiting room for whatever it is going on maybe it's information you need maybe it's a job that you need maybe it's money that you need maybe it's a relationship that you need maybe it's peace that you need how do you do during the waiting so maybe a good way to for us to handle that is that we not be so focused on the need that we have and be more driven to embrace the God that we have because his timing is always right. And so God said it was time. There's a caveat to this. There is one New Testament scholar who would not agree, but it's not that he wouldn't agree necessarily on the, the way we take in the fullness of time over in Galatians. But, but his, his take on that pushes more for the fix. In other words, his point in timing as he reads that pushes to, by the way, I don't agree with him, all right? Otherwise, I wouldn't have done, you know, 20 minutes on what I just did. But uh, I don't agree with him, but he does make a point that I think we need to hear. Because the reality of it all is, according to him, is that when Jesus Christ did come, in the fullness of time, we began changing how we measure time. Now, our historians, you know, we, we have such a woke society that we've gotten rid of some of the way we, we measure time. But, but uh, you know, it used to be B.C. and then A.D., right? And now it's B.C.E. and C.E. And if you don't know what that means, there's your homework. But, but there was a point that we divided time 
on the birth of Jesus, or at least we thought we did, before Christ, after the death of Christ. So this guy would say, and I think we should hear what he says, that maybe in your life, the way you measure time needs to be at the point of Jesus transforming you. Because Jesus came not just to be a baby in a manger. We talked about that already. Jesus came so that you might have life. Jesus came so that you might have life that is beyond your wildest imaginations. Jesus came so that you may have life that overcomes the curse of sin. Jesus came perfectly in time. And your lifetime starts over when you measure it from the time that he came to you. So has he come to you? What's going on in your life today that moves you into position to begin to see that life can be different than what it is for you? 1979, I did something I had never done before told some of you this, but uh, not all of you would know this, but in that year, my senior year in high school, it was towards the end of that senior year, I was recruited to play a drill sergeant in Odessa High School's one-act play. I know you look at me and you go, typecasting, you look like a drill sergeant. Uh, I was so far away that I'd never done any of that kind of stuff, and I, I got recruited in. They blindsided me. We did it. Um, and part of that, the, the play itself was called The Basic Training of Pablo Hummel. Al Pacino had played the lead role in that on Broadway not long before that. And so our drama coach at our high school pulled it down into acceptable one-act play parameters, and he said, this is what we're going to do. And he got a bunch of us who had never been in drama at all. So, uh, and so I played this drill sergeant. The opening scene of that one-act play for us had me instructing these recruits in basic training on how to handle and what was going on with a fragmentation grenade. And so part of it, I don't remember the, the, the words, that's, that's like oh, a long time ago. So, but I do remember this. They had gotten me a stage prop, which was a grenade that had been filled with lead. So all the explosives were out, obviously. They filled it with lead, and it was heavy. And so part of what I had to do was not only explain to these recruits what the grenade does and you know, how effective it is, I also had to show them how to throw it. And so that was part of the play. And so it begins with me as a drill sergeant standing up on this box, and I have to throw it over my head like this across the stage. And so we had to practice that. I was a soccer player. Wasn't a baseball player, I was a soccer player, right? I could have kicked it over there much better than I could throw it most of the time. So we just had to practice that. Fill of, it's heavy, right? And so on the day of the district competition, before we were on, Pablo Hummel, Dean Anderson, good friend of mine, died not long after we were out of high school. Uh, he was Pablo Hummel. And so we were out on the loading dock at Big Spring High School behind the stage, and I was practicing throwing that thing with him. 
And so I took that and I went like that to throw it. And when I did, I sandwiched my thumb between that grenade and a crossbar, a pipe, and destroyed my thumb. I wanted to scream, but I remembered that drill sergeants don't scream that way. <laughs> I looked down, it was fairly well mangled. I was dripping blood everywhere. And about two minutes after that happened, our drama coach stuck his head out the door. He says, it's time, we're on, let's go now. I didn't have the chance to say, could you give me five minutes? I didn't have the chance to say, I need medical attention. I didn't get a chance to say any of those things. He said, it's time, and we went. I dripped blood all over that stage through the course of that play. Now, we got first place, in case you're keeping record at home. <laughs> Third in state four is over with. But here's the, here's the message of that. God's timing is always right. And when he steps into your life and he says, it's time, he takes you with bloody fingers, bloody hearts, bloody thoughts, messed up, and he makes you new. There's your Christmas message. In those days, in the fullness of time, Is it time for you? Let's pray. God comes to you today. He says, I have life for you, and it's time for you to choose. So the invitation is simply that. Will you respond to this God in the flesh, little baby who grew to be a man, who grew to be crucified, but all along was 100% God, 100% man, and his name is Savior. It's time. If you don't know him, it's time. So, Father, we ask you now take this invitation. Work in hearts. Change lives. Help us to embrace you in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. decided to follow Jesus.